2: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on forum, California's giving it another try this week, launching its new framework for allowing certain businesses to reopen based on how well their counties are handling the coronavirus. Governor Gavin Newsom says the new plan is easier to understand and stricter than its predecessor, that's been blamed for a surge of infections. We'll learn more about California's four-tier color-coded system for opening businesses and take a closer look at how the state's second-largest county, San Diego, is dealing with it. We'll get started after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This week, many indoor shopping malls, hair salons, and barber shops opened in parts of California, with limits on how many people they could serve under the state's new four-tier color-coded reopening system. The new plan has received mixed reactions. Some local officials say it's arbitrary and moves too slowly, while others fear it moves too quickly and could lead to another surge in cases. We look at how the plan is playing out in California's San Diego County, and take your questions about the health and safety of activities allowed under the new system. Joining us is Dr. Peter Chin Hong, an infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Hong. Chin Hong.
0: Thanks for having me on, Mina. Always a pleasure.
2: Also with us is Paul Sisson, a reporter covering healthcare for the San Diego Union Tribune. Thanks for joining us as well, Paul Sisson.
3: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: And Paul, I'll start with you. If you could just explain the state's new reopening plan for us and and how it's different from the way Governor Newsom
1: did it before.
3: Right. As you may recall, uh, the governor uh, and the state in general up to this point has had a special uh, watch list for counties deemed to have a level of coronavirus transmission that was too high. So uh, there were over 30 counties on that watch list. Uh, And this week, they came out with a new four-tiered color-coded system that replaces the watch list uh, throughout the state. And and so um, they kind of seeded different counties at the various different levels of this uh, tiered watch list uh, this week. And then they'll be checking in on Tuesday to decide which ones may, based on their um, numbers, their coronavirus numbers, uh, get to move up or move down. Uh, in this hierarchy.
2: And so in this color system, basically purple, it goes from purple, red, orange to yellow, with purple being the most widespread in terms of infection and yellow being the least. So Um, Dr. Chin Hong, as Paul Sisson was noting, they've changed sort of the criteria for uh, what constitutes whether or not Uh, a county can begin to lift restrictions on certain businesses and increase capacity of those businesses. Those are, of course, um, the number of new daily coronavirus cases and also positivity rates. First, do you think those are effective new metrics, better than the ones they had before?
0: I mean, I think they are better from a health uh, systems and uh, health sciences perspective. The reason is this in the old system is very binary you'd be on the watch list or you'd be off and there are a lot of counties actually on the bubble and it was very frustrating to actually be on the bubble and you you'd be in a gradation a shade of gray and not be able to do certain things in the new system there is a shade of gray so you could potentially begin a gradual phase of reopening or, or not
2: well, is this a safe time to be doing this, doctor Chen Chin-Hong? I mean, we have well over 700,000 cases in the state. We average some 5,500 cases a day. I mean, one of the things that Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Mark Galley said was that the state is not out of the woods. So should we be lifting restrictions right now?
0: I would, you know, I'm very cautious about it. And you can just look at the behavior of the counties to give you some, you know, indication that things are being interpreted in different ways, even though we have more of a shade of gray kind of scale. And, you know, San Francisco County, for example, has always been more conservative. And I, I it kind of reflects my own feeling as well. We're moving probably just a smudge too fast in certain areas. Um, and I think coming up on Labor Day now that we are, I think many people are worried that it's just going to be Memorial Day all over again. But again, moving slowly, moving cautiously would be my sort of where I sit the most comfortably.
2: Mm. Well, interestingly, Paul Sisson, for example, Los Angeles County, it's in the purple, but it can still open indoor, you know, hair salons, barber shops and malls and it's deciding not to. Why not?
3: You know, I just uh, I think that the the general consensus is that we we know what's going on on the ground. We we investigate these Outbreaks at various locations. Uh, you know, I haven't spoken to LA County officials, but my sense is with pretty much all of the epidemiology departments at the county level is that, you know, if they are just seeing a certain number of cases, a certain amount of activity in a certain type of uh, business or, or other organization, that they're just going to be more cautious.
2: And so it also sounds like it really is. The local, at the local level, that local officials can make the call about whether or not to open businesses or to actually allow for some of the lifting of restrictions that this tiered system says it can do.
3: Right, exactly. Uh, local public health officers do have the ability to be more restrictive than the governor's uh, guidelines. Uh, they, they can't be less restrictive unless they want to risk losing certain state revenue that comes to the state through the cares act so uh so what we see in san diego for example is a couple additional requirements uh, added on to the governor's basic framework that came out this week uh, for example they've asked everyone who is moving businesses back indoors to one extent to another be it barber shops at hundred percent or restaurants at, at something like I think it's 50% um, to keep a log of every single one of their customers uh, complete with name and phone number. So in the event that they do have an outbreak in, in, in a place like that, they can it makes it very easy for them to know who was there and call them immediately and find out who they were in close contact with.
2: And it sounds like the governor is no longer entertaining these requests for counties when they make their own case to reopen that basically he is no longer going to be uh, be giving them leeway.
3: Right. It, they, they made a, a lot of uh, discussion this week about, about being relatively um, strong and, and inflexible on these tiers. You're going to stay at your existing tier for a full 21 days, and you're going to need to meet the requirements of the next tier for two straight weeks uh, before we're going to let you move up and... Uh, it seems like they're really, uh, they're really being rather forceful on that point.
2: And what, how do counties move backwards?
3: Uh, well, if they stop meeting the requirements of their current tier, then they would move backwards. So, for example, right now, San Diego, in order to be in the Tier 2, the sub- substantial category that's color-coded red, uh, they need to have between four and seven cases per 100,000 residents per day. Uh, and they need to have a positivity rate between 5 and 8%. So if they fell out of either of those metrics for two weeks, then they would fall back to the purple tier.
2: I see. And can you explain sort of this new framework with regards to how it allows for sort of progressive capacity growth of businesses? Um, and you can use San Diego, of course, as a guide. But, for example, this time around it it will say, you know, whether or not restaurants can have 25% capacity or 50% capacity.
3: Right, right. There's this kind of gradual gradation uh, here that's that's listed. They have a nice matrix that allows you to kind of run your finger along and see uh, how it changes. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. So restaurants in the purple tier, for example, are only allowed to have outdoor dining. Uh, as you move up into the red tier, you can have Max use of 25% of your indoor capacity, up to no more than 100 people. Uh, if you get up to tier three, you get up to 50% capacity and a max of 200 people. Uh, and then at tier four, where you need to have less than one case per 100,000 residents, uh, you can get to max 50 capacity, 50% capacity, with no cap on the number of people.
2: Can I get your opinion on this, Dr. Peter Chin-Hong? I mean, what do you think about sort of this progressive reopening, progressive capacity building?
0: Well, it, it sounds like uh, a whole bunch of math. And I think what my concern is, you know, with the shades of gray, that, you know, it gets confusing for people. I think not confusing for business owners, confusing for customers who come in and have to sort of like figure out what, what, what's part of the calculus they're in. Um, you know, I, Overall, it is a good strategy because, again, you're doing things. I think the bottom line is that you're doing things slowly and gradually. And as Governor Newsom says, we're going to be a bit stubborn in this phase of reopening once again. And how they achieve that, I think it's not only about the math and the complicated calculus that we have to do, but, you know, communicating to people and completely always touching base with folks to let them know why we're doing what we're doing. And again, we, we we don't want to be back in the place we were in after Memorial Day.
2: Yes, but we hear so much about how it's aerosolized, how the virus is aerosolized. So opening indoor spaces, say like shopping malls with 25% max capacity in the purple tier um, or 50% capacity if you're in the red tier or hair salons um, and retail with 25% max capacity. I mean that's safe? even indoors?
0: It's not always safe, and that's the other aspect of the guidelines that I always have trouble with. It doesn't take into consideration the wide variety of of settings that people are in. You can be in a hair salon that's completely a small room with poor ventilation, and that's not the same as being in a big, open, converted warehouse hair salon. So I think it's not really the site as much as the activity and the context in which you're you know you're doing your your specific task so that's really where i think we break down a little bit
2: mm-hmm. and it sounds like you're saying ventilation is really key we're talking with dr peter chin hong infectious disease specialist at ucsf's medical center and with paul Sisson, a reporter covering healthcare for the san diego union tribune and with you our listeners join the conversation What is your reaction to this new framework that the state has put out? Are you worried the numbers will go back up again? Why or why not? Dr. Chin-Hong mentioned, of course, that this is also a few days before a big holiday, just like it was a few days before the Memorial Day holiday when things started to reopen. Does that worry you? Are you a business owner waiting to open despite state and public health officials giving you the go-ahead why or why not? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at org. And, and Paul Sisson, and I would like to get more into the situation in San Diego. I mean, one of the things that I want to make clear is that Basically, if you're in the red tier, what is open that was not allowed to be open in in purple?
3: Right. Um, well, it's interesting because you know the hair salons and barber shops and nail salons were not allowed to be open indoors uh, until this new framework was announced, and the new framework allows some some opening uh, even at the purple tier. So uh, so you know, it's it's interesting that kind of everybody got that ability to move back yeah. for, for in, some of these
2: things. In San Diego, it will be Jim's houses of worship, et cetera. So I'd love to hear more about that after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the state's new reopening plan that was launched this week, unveiled last Friday. We're joined by Dr. Peter Chin Hong, Infectious Disease Specialist at UCSF and Paul Sisson with the San Diego Union-Tribune. And with you, our listeners, give us your questions, your thoughts about this new system and how you are experiencing it, especially if you're a business owner uh, or a parent trying to figure out how they affect school reopenings. Give us a call 866-733-6786 Again, 866 733 you can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. And looking at San Diego specifically, so Paul says, and you spoke with a number of different business owners, can you talk about kind of what you saw as, as their reaction as to whether or not what they're weighing in terms of whether or not they should open?
3: Right, you know there there are so many considerations. You know, for example, uh, you know, hotels, uh, not hotels, uh, restaurants being able to to have twenty five percent of their indoor seating capacity back. That in and of itself probably is not enough to sustain a restaurant twenty five percent of their indoor seating capacity. So those that already have developed uh, functioning large patios where they've been working outdoors for a month. Uh, are probably more likely to see uh, that that regaining of that sliver of indoor capacity as a positive thing, whereas others who don't have an outdoor patio are kind of feeling like, gosh, this still isn't enough for me to actually reopen. Uh, And so you see that, uh, you know all over the place uh movie theaters for example are now allowed to have uh 25 of their seating capacity back we're out covering that this week in terms of you know a is that going to be enough to sustain these businesses b is anybody going to want to go sit indoors in movie theaters at this moment in time with the pandemic where it is, uh, you know, gyms, for example, uh, gyms and fitness centers can have 10% of their uh, maximum capacity back. Uh, You know, again, not clear whether that's enough to actually help a business that was struggling really make a go of it.
2: Yeah. And it sounds like sort of the on again, off again, or what happened last time where, businesses were allowed to reopen, and then they had to close. That that sort of whiplash nature has given some business owners cold feet. Paul Sisson? "Oh yeah,
3: definitely. I think that's very, very much true. Um, you know, they want to, they want to have a feeling and an, assur- an assurance that uh, this time it's going to stick. And um, you know, that's just hard to come by right now. We're we're really in uncharted territory. Uh, you know, as as has been said." Uh, Big weekend, Labor Day weekend approaches, and uh, people wonder, you know, are we just going to see another big spike in the coming weeks as we get through the, uh, you know, the incubation period of uh, coronavirus? You know, in two weeks, are we going to see another large spike It's going to just take us down a tier?
2: Yes, and, and San Diego is one of the few counties that is in this red tier, surrounded by counties in purple tiers, just like... San Francisco and Napa County as well, though, as you go further north, you get more that are in, say, red or orange tiers. So, yeah, I mean, definitely so much to take into consideration. Brian tweets, I'd love to understand how positivity rate makes any sense without the testing pool being a random representative subset of a county's population. People generally go in for testing if they have the means and think they're at risk. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, thoughts about Brian's point about positivity rate as a metric?
0: I think Brian brings up a good point and you know, it is whether or not you know how representative is testing positivity rates, uh, which is a true population based sample. If you're doing a study, you certainly want wouldn't want an optimistic sample of folks just coming in because they could afford the test or so they know where the testing site is. But they but the idea is not only about the absolute number of of the number, but I think the trend and I think using it not to really say you know, so, you, first of all, there are two points. First of all, you use it not by itself, but you use it with the daily number of new cases per, uh, you know, 100,000. And together, they probably give you a crude measure. Of course, in the old system, we're using a whole bunch of different metrics, including hospital capacity and number of hospitalizations, which, of course, is less biased because people can't control whether or not, you know, to some extent, if they're really sick they can't really decide whether or not they would go to the hospital or not so there is some inherent bias in it but i would say also it's the pattern and you know in in a in a county where you can probably unravel large testing programs particularly into, into disadvantaged communities uh like some counties have alameda san francisco you probably would get a better measure of what the truth is but i think brian's point is absolutely correct
2: well let me go to caller jake in oakland hi jake
0: hi thanks for taking my call i am curious if there's any information on how the size and shape of an indoor space affects uh the safety of it i'm I'm curious specifically about the contrast between say a small space with just a few people in it like a salon or even a classroom versus a very large and kind of open space like say the main public areas of a mall or a costco or something similar where there's a lot more room for airflow uh, within even a, a larger quantity of people.
2: Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jake. Uh, Paul and did the state put in guidelines around that in terms of size of space?
3: I mean, they say that they have uh, considered the various ways that people have become infected in terms of setting these tiers and, and, and deciding which venues can open first and to what extent. Um, and so I, I think what they would say perhaps is what we see in terms of outbreaks and cases is that generally people aren't becoming as infected as often, even in these closed spaces like uh, barbershops and uh, salons as they might be in, in other, in other venues, even if they might be a bit uh, more wide open. Um, In terms of the the research that I've seen coming through and, and, you know, there may be others that I haven't seen, but it seems like uh, air exchange and, and, uh, and airflow, uh, is seen as a, as a rather large um, piece of this. Uh, but, it, you know, in looking at the state's guidelines, it seems very clear that they were uh, uh, very interested in um, less restrictions for, for venues where both the client and the service provider can both be masked at all times uh, and, and have, uh, you know, significant um, infection control uh, protocols, uh, available and and can really use them effectively. They talk a lot about, for example, um, not allowing uh, as broad of an opening for for loud uh, places where people might need to yell to be heard. Uh, That would cause uh, perhaps people to uh, to put more uh, viral carrying particle uh, water particles into the air. So so, for example, bars uh, and uh, distilleries and breweries uh, remain closed. Those venues, I think they think they're, you know, they're going to be loud and you're going to have a much larger chance of things spreading there.
2: Mm -hmm. So they're seen as riskier. Well, Soror writes, I wished employees at hair salons could get tested regularly at a reasonable price so they can actually do it. I would be a lot more confident staying in a closed space with them and would also be happy to pay a little more for their services. I mean, would that help, you know, just in terms of getting employees tested, Dr. Chenong, do you, do you feel like that should be a part of the state's rules, regular testing?
0: One million percent, Mina. I think testing is increasingly seen as a strategy of control, just not of disease control, outbreak control, not just the knowledge of whether or not you've had it or not. And you're absolutely right. The more we can have low cost, and absolutely, I think it should actually be free to everyone. This is a public health emergency after all. Low cost tests, uh, that are quick to get back you can get back to results very quickly and even though they may not be as sensitive you do them frequently they're easy to get they're not uncomfortable and it becomes a way of life i think uh it can have a big impact on all these fears that we have and there was one that was just uh fda i uh, received the emergency use authorization a few days ago the abbot test that is in that one of the steps in the right direction and one i think uh we should see my dream is that you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you do your low cost test that you bought at Costco, you get a positive or negative like a pregnancy test, and you know that you can go out uh, and face the turmoils of the day.
2: Well, let me ask our Linda to join us, our Linda in Oakland. you're on
0: Hi. My thought is why not open up some public spaces such as the fairgrounds for some of these businesses that may be able to operate. In, in that to reduce infe- infection, such as uh, maybe hair salons and barbers. Um, couldn't they cut in open space like that?
2: Um, thanks, Arlinda. I mean, she raises an interesting question here about making more Outdoor space available since so many entities can only do things outdoors right now or at limited capacity. Um, Paul Sisson, but I also wonder if you could speak to some of the restrictions around categories of theme parks, like say a Legoland versus a SeaWorld in San Diego.
3: Right. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you know we've seen a fair amount of that. You know, I think it's uh, kind of you know we, here in San Diego, and I don't I don't know how it is in the rest of the state, but we've seen a fair number of our barbershops and salons and nail uh, studios um, move outdoors. Uh, there has been a lot of um, relaxation of uh, civic regulation in terms of what you can do on the sidewalk out in front of your business. Uh, you know, and we've seen restaurants move out onto the sidewalks a lot as well. Uh, we've seen, for example, in the gas lamp Quarter in downtown San Diego, we've seen major streets shut down on certain days of the weekend uh, uh, to allow businesses to just take over the streets. Um, and we've seen also, uh, some fair, you know, our fair was canceled this year in San Diego. And so we've seen some of those fair food vendors open up in in parking lots and, and, uh, being, you know, have people come drive through and, uh, and pick up food, uh, as well. So, um, uh, it's certainly very possible. And, uh, you know, I think we've already seen a fair amount of it, um, in terms of, uh, of, amusement parks. I think we're still waiting on that. We, you know, we, we are allowed, uh, the, the state is already allowing zoos, uh, and other, um, other types of, uh, organizations like museums, uh, to do, uh, outdoor, um, operations, uh, in the San Diego zoo has been a, a good example of that. Uh, and under this, uh, this red tier that we're now in, they are allowed to actually start doing, uh, 25% of their capacity indoors as well. Um, I think we're still waiting a little bit to find out exactly what's going to happen uh, with amusement parks.
2: Yes. And like, for example, there was some frustration that, the, that say, Legoland still can't open while SeaWorld can. Right. I mean, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about were, were schools. So under the red tier, what can schools do?
3: Right. So, uh uh, in San Diego, we, uh, we just, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a situation where we were still, uh, uh we were off the state's watch list and we had to wait 14 days for K through 12 schools to be able to reopen. And, um, that clock ended on Monday. So as of Tuesday, any K-12 school district in San Diego County, is able to reopen under their local school board's decision-making process. Uh, so we have seen some uh, that are moving rather quickly to reopen. Uh, we have seen some private schools open under uh, waivers that are allowed by the state already. Uh, but but a lot of our larger districts are waiting at least a month, maybe more, to actually start any kind of uh, indoor instruction uh, on campuses again. Um, and uh, you know, I think. The general sense is they just want a little more time to work out exactly how they're going to do things like social distancing. You know, if you think of a lot of these uh, school classrooms with 30 kids in a, in a classroom, uh, it just boggles the mind a little bit to think, how are you going to get those kids six feet of uh, separation? If you don't, you need some kind of barrier or something. So, so I think that they're all just kind of still, you know, figuring that out.
2: And what's the threshold to close the school again?
3: right if you have an outbreak uh, that that uh, involves five percent or more of the student population, then the uh, school would need to close same with individual classrooms um, and so and then if a district uh, sees twenty five percent or more of its total student volume uh, test positive then um, that district would need to close for a certain period of time. I think it's at least two weeks.
2: And so, but if if a school had applied for a waiver ahead of time, or um, would that then also be, you know, basically rescinded if if the county moved into a a worst tier, like a purple tier?
3: Uh, no, actually, um, from what we understand. Uh, any any schools granted waivers, and, and any schools in general, once they've once they've made it through this 14-day waiting period, even if uh, even if the school, even if the county uh, suffers a more restrictive um, now now it's a tier it used to be back on the wait, waiting list, um, the school districts would re- would be able to remain open.
2: Again, we're talking with Paul Sisson, a reporter covering healthcare for the San Diego Union-Tribune, and Dr. Peter Chin Hong, an infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center, and you are listeners, 866-733-6786 is the number. And let me go to caller Carl in uh, Calistoga. Hi, Carl. Join us. Hi. Hi. Go right ahead. You're on.
4: So um, I have so much stuff going on in my head around this that I could have a whole show with you, which I can't do. So I'll just focus on one thing. It seems uh, that a lot of the, um, the, the regulations um, from uh, the perspective of public health uh, make a lot of sense, but um, they're sort of being uh, imposed in a, in, in a vacuum. Um, I'm not a small business owner myself, but uh, I have many people close to me who are and the impact of uh these regulations and compliance is huge in terms of both uh reduced income uh you know having a restaurant you know that can only have 25 percent of the normal capacity and and it's been going on for months and months and months uh you know it's sometimes less than that but then the other part is that very often the effort to um to be compliant and to uh, create a safe situation simply adds uh, to the expense side of running the business, putting out tables for sidewalks with parasols and, you know, enclosures and all that kind of thing. Um, So, you know, I'm really concerned about that. And so I I don't hear um, a lot of uh, effort being put into really solving uh, the problem for, um, you know, business uh, businesses, especially small businesses that uh, are, you know, exhausting cash reserves and, um, and, and you know, really confronted with uh, a horrific problem with no end in sight. I don't yes. see how it's going to end.
2: Carl, thanks for raising that. And, and Paul Sisson, I mean, you've written about how people have shared similar stories with the public health official for San Diego County as well to try to get some sense of, I don't know, you know, some way of trying to to put forward and modify some of these regulations that might ease some of that burden. I mean, what has been the reaction of, of Dr. Wooten and local officials?
3: Right. Yeah, I mean, this has been a steady drumbeat, and uh, it's been really just terrible to witness, of course. I mean, people are really suffering uh, through no fault of their own, Uh, losing their livelihoods, Uh, businesses that have been around in the community for a long, long time, uh, you know, either having shut down already or worried that they're not going to make it. Um, uh, You know, and so uh, we've had, uh, you know, a little bit of a disagreement amongst our local leaders, especially on our our county board of supervisors. Uh, You know, one will have a press conference talking about how we need to just, uh, you know, Open up much more broadly and, and help these businesses out. Uh, and, um, and and another uh, supervisor uh, saying, you know, gosh, this is not the time to to uh, really relax. Uh, we're just going to suffer the exact same uh, pattern that we did a few months ago. We're just going to see another big spike, and we're going to be back right where we started. So we need to have uh, discipline enough to uh, just really. Keep things more tightly locked down, uh, you know, as long as we need to, and, you know. And it just seems like it's a daily um, back and forth and, and struggle for the leaders to decide, you know, which way it's going to go. Uh, generally, the the um, the breakdown with our uh, with our local board has supported uh, staying more closed.
2: Hmm. Well, we'll have more after the break. We're talking about the state's new plan for reopening. Stay with us. I'm Nina Kim. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the new four-tier color-coded system, a redesign of the state's previous guidelines for counties to lift restrictions on businesses as California tries to reopen parts of its economy. We're talking with Dr. Peter Chin Hong of UCSF and Paul Sisson of the San Diego Union Tribune. And if you have questions or comments, 866-733-6786 is the number to call. The email address, forum at kqed.org. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. And uh, this listener, Bill, writes, we can go to Target, Costco and Best Buy, but we can't. Get a haircut, big business wins again. I mean, Dr. Peter Hong, this is an interesting point. There's been some criticism of the fact that uh, the uh, the state is so focused on, you know, when and how to open non-essential businesses while at the same time, you know, allowing these bigger businesses uh, with, uh, with essential workers to remain open all this time, understanding that they're essential businesses, but maybe not necessarily being as focused as they could have been on safety uh, in those businesses. Do you think that that criticism is warranted?
0: I mean, to uh, certainly to certain extent, and um, you know, what, one also has to think. You know, when I reflect on this, I, I'm I'm certainly devastated by the loss of, you know, daily scores of businesses and even in my local area that are closing and it's truly tragic but you know I also want individuals to get back to work too and if if it means that some of the larger businesses who are able to instate safety measures and protect their workers and give their workers uh, adequate health care and give them training in COVID uh, safety techniques they're able to open that also means that you know folks in the in our communities can, can get back to work in some capacity. But, but you're right. I mean, the, the variety of or the differences in the way small businesses versus large corporations are regulated or have oversight, um, you know, is being exposed uh, in this sort of reopening phase.
2: Well, the listener asks, "What's the status of adoption and use of rapid tests like the Abbott's in California? Is there a plan to use rapid tests like they do in the Northeast?" Dr. Peter Chenong, do you know uh, what the status is in terms of distribution of these tests here? As you say, they could be a game changer.
0: Well, the rapid tests uh, are being talked about a lot right now, actively, and I would say that there probably wouldn't be a use for them in the healthcare setting because we're still probably going to rely on the more sensitive regular PCR tests that uh, we've been using. But I think there will, be a ga- there will be a game changer in large settings like schools and border control, airports. Uh, uh, and, you know, but that really hasn't been rolled out yet. But the federal government did commit uh, tens of millions of dollars to buying some of these platforms. So I hope that these will get ruled out. Uh, in a more systematic way at some point. I would say the other innovations that are going on right now for rapid, uh, for rapid testing and wide-scale testing includes saliva testing, which I've been a personal fan of all along. It's so much more comfortable. The NBA is using it. The Major League, League Baseball is using it. And I, I'm just surprised it hasn't been ruled out in a much more widespread way in the United States.
2: Hmm. Well, Melody writes, I'm a nail artist in Oakland. Under the new rules, I'm only allowed to work outdoors, which isn't possible considering the UV-sensitive products I use. I see artists in New Orleans and Austin who have been open and working indoors since May. It's frustrating. If indoor beauty services were so dangerous, wouldn't we have seen salons close across the country? I mean, Paul says, and you've Spoken with uh, some manicures or nail artists as well in San Diego. What have they been telling you?
3: Right, they they said all along. Look, we uh, we have infection control protocols, and and we do follow them, um, and we're happy to wear masks, and uh, and you know, and we always wash our hands, and you know, and we're not we're not right up on our, our customers. Where we we operate at a, at, a, at a little bit of a distance, and and so uh, you know, there have been a few. Uh, outbreaks. Our, our local county health department tells us among nail salons, but really, uh, where they've seen the the bulk of the outbreaks so far has been in restaurants uh, and businesses, uh, and and not so much in uh, in personal care services. Although we have seen personal care services kind of shut down unless they're willing to move outside. So it's a little it's a little hard to know exactly. What the denominator there is at the, at the moment.
2: And I'm sure adds fuel to criticisms about arbitrariness, as you've pointed out in your reporting. This listener writes, UC Berkeley dorms opened last week. Colleges and universities are exempt from these rules for retail stores, K-12 schools, museums, etc. I mean, can you talk a little bit about, about that, answer this that listener's question, but also just how things have been playing out in San Diego because SDSU has been making headlines?
3: Right, yeah, universities uh, do have some some level of autonomy in terms of uh, deciding what what they want to do, um, and so it, it really has you know all across the country. Obviously, uh, you know we've seen outbreaks starting to pop up as as universities uh, reopen. UNC being a huge example there, um, but uh, you know locally we we, uh, we have we have seen our two universities talk about bringing students back as uh, sdsu having been uh, a little quicker to do that uh and, and we've seen really a lot of uh indications that many of the kids on campus at least what people that uh, folks see wandering around on the streets around the campus uh you know may not really be adhering to a lot of these uh, uh distancing and and uh, face covering requirements uh you know Right now, we have an issue with visibility into these campuses and and to what extent they're actually going to report the number of positive cases that occur um, and and how often they're going to do so. Uh, And I think parents are really going to demand uh, to know pretty much in real time or as in real time as possible what's going on on these campuses or near these campuses with off-campus housing.
2: Well, let me go to caller Martin in Santa Clara. Hi, Martin.
3: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Listen, uh, my question is,
0: have we learned anything from what is going on in other countries, in particular Asia? They don't appear to have this, you know, gradation, you know, kind of uh, policy process problem. They decide whether they need to be open. Is it a level of personal care? Uh, You know, it's why they're able to be more successful at this, or what what do you think the reasons are for that? And I'll take my answer off the air. That's fine.
2: Thanks, Martin. Um, Dr. Peter Chen Hong, do you have any thoughts on Martin's question?
0: Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts, and I've been thinking about that since you know the beginning of the pandemic. I think there's so many differences between Asia and the United States in terms of our response to the pandemic. First of all, you know there is in many countries in Asia, if not all of them, a very singular, clear national strategy and voice. And when you have that national strategy and voice coming from the top everyone follows suit. It's kind of like when we had swine flu or Ebola, the CDC told us what to do. In COVID-19 in the United States, it's like 50 different countries. We're all doing different things, except that our borders are, are very porous and we don't do disease screening at the borders of the states. So it's, not, it's kind of like you're giving the autonomy to control at the state level, but yet you don't have the power to really, or the will, you know, rightfully so, to really close off take from each other. So that's one thing. The other thing that makes Asia very different from the U.S. is that they've seen badness from SARS uh, a few years ago. And I think that what that led to is, is the appreciation by the community in general to take personal protection very seriously. And that, you know, I'm thinking of masking. And community masking was something that was done in Asia from the beginning of the pandemic. In fact, in areas of Chinatown in, in San Francisco, one wonders why the levels of COVID are so low there. And one of the hypotheses is that they were getting this messaging from Asia a long time ago, and everyone is wearing masks. So I think these things that we've learned over the months here, I think they were adopted really early on in Asia, either from historical precedent from SARS and the devastating local effect that had there, or from a very single, a clear voice that uh, was science-informed and that, that people listened to.
2: Well, let me go to Joan in San Jose. Hi, Joan.
0: Hi. Uh, I believe Dr. Fauci said that outdoor swimming pools were fairly safe as long as they weren't too crowded. Uh, the main thing would be dressing rooms, which might not be well ventilated. all about pools like our local Milpitas Energy Center, which has gorgeous, warm outdoor pools opening up, and people just come dressed in their swimsuits, don't go to the changing rooms, just maintain a very clean restroom with
1: Go in, they go in, but um, I would like to see our outdoor swimming facilities open and uh, they have chlorine in the water. If there are not too many people in a lane, if there's one person per lane, for example, if they extend their hours putting lifeguards, I think they could open up. Well, Joan,
2: thanks. I mean, in a lot of entities that are outdoors can, can't they, Paul Sisson?
3: Right, uh, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the uh, the venues. I'm not sure about uh, outdoor lane swimming, uh, in particular. But you know, our beaches are all open. Um, you can go swim in the ocean all day if you want, uh, and have been for months now. And uh, we really haven't seen, at least as far as I'm aware, uh, you know, that they haven't really announced any any outbreaks uh, associated with swimming. Uh, so. You know the, what the, the the steady mantra has been: outdoor activities uh, are are much less likely to be venues where transmission occurs, but you still need to have some distancing. So to me, uh, I think I think that's probably right that uh, I, that uh, you know, lane swimming with some distancing and you know probably ought to be something that's coming. I'm I'm not super clear on exactly where it's at to be honest with you.
2: Well, let me go to Adrian in Stockton. Hi, Adrian. Hello, this is Adrian.
0: I'm concerned. I just lost my brother two days ago.
1: He's being cremated, and we, it, we wanted to have a grave size service. But we're being told only 10
0: people can be there, which is ludicrous. It's a very hard
2: time right now. A lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, but Adrian, to be, yes. I'm so sorry for your loss. You're saying that you want to have an outdoor graveside service, but you're being limited to 10? 10 people, is that? Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And We all wear our masks.
0: I have a fairly large family, but everybody's been very good and cooperative about
1: masking
0: and sanitizer, social distancing. So I just, I I don't know what to do at this point. It's very, very hard.
2: I'm sure. And do you know where services like this would fall, uh, Paul Sisson, in terms of sort of the sectors and and how they've been regulated in terms of capacity?
3: I do believe that outdoor uh, gatherings are uh, of this nature are allowed. And, and let me express my <laughs> uh, sorrow at this story as well. What a, what a really tough uh, situation. It just breaks your heart. Um, I, I do believe outdoor uh, gatherings like this are allowed, but the, the, the distancing is required. And uh, I would need to research that a little more to, to be sure exactly how it f- unfolds uh, on a state level like that. I apologize.
2: Well, Jessica, I don't want to
3: give the wrong advice.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. And and the state does have a website, right, where you can go for some more specific questions and answers, um frequently asked questions at covid19.ca.gov. But uh, you know, it is it just does feel like it's hard to be able to account for all the different needs and and industries and and try to do this as safely as possible. For example, Jessica writes, I own a children's music school offering private lessons and small group classes. It's really hard for me to find information about when I might be allowed to reopen and what precautions I'll have to put in place in order to do so. None of the guidelines out there seem to apply to my business. Do you have any help for Jessica, Paul Sisson?
3: Right. Uh, the, the state actually does have uh, a fairly better uh, list that you can now look at if you go to uh, covid19.ca.gov there's a spot there where you can type in your county and hit go and it will take you through a massive list of different business types and activity types and organization types uh, and you can really drill in and get a sense of uh, what's allowed at the moment and what's not allowed at the moment. I, I apologize that I'm not able to hold all of that in my head, but there's just so much of it. It's really hard for one person to have read uh, <laughs> little at literally every little instruction on there, but, but it is, you know, each industry has a whole industry guidance document that they have to follow. And, um, so and how their possible. counties
2: are also interpreting some of these guidelines as well. Right, and how, and
3: how the new tier system applies to that in terms of, you know, you're in this tier now, so now this is allowed. Uh, they, they have tried to make it a little more uh, easy to access.
2: Well, Steve asks, how do asymptomatic individuals factor into these metrics when roughly 40 percent that are infectious have no symptoms? Uh, Dr. Peter Chin-Hong.
0: Asymptomatic individuals are included in the case numbers uh, anybody who's positive, whether or not you're symptomatic or not. I know there's been a lot of discourse about what asymptomatic means, but I would say from from a medical perspective, you don't know where that asymptomatic person is going, so they should be counted, because an asymptomatic person doesn't necessarily stay asymptomatic forever. They may be in the evolution to becoming symptomatic. So I think, and more importantly, from a public health perspective, asymptomatic individuals do have transmissible disease. So I think, you know, even though the, there are some individuals who think they shouldn't be factored into these metrics, uh, I think they should for a variety of reasons.
2: Mary asks, how safe is it to have cleaners in your home at this time? Dr. Peter chin
0: Oh, I'm sorry, what is that? Cleaner? Cleaners,
2: I believe she means house cleaners. Oh, yeah.
0: Yes, yes. Um, so in general, I mean, again, it's not the necessarily the setting, but more the activity. So if you no, know, for example, I've heard of colleagues who did have their cleaners in home, but they were outside when the cleaners were in, so you limit the density of the people indoors. Um, and you know, if the cleaner is wearing a mask, of course, there's a potential risk to the cleaner as well. If it's the really small enclosed space where you might have suspended virus for a while, but I, but again, in general, for most people, if you can ventilate the room, crack open the windows you know, have it happen during the day and not a lot of, uh, or no one is inside. There's no reason why it shouldn't happen um, because, again, it's not about the setting, but rather the behaviors that come with the setting.
2: Well, let me see if I can squeeze Anne from Mountain View in quickly. Hi, Anne. Hi, yeah. I'd really love to see the
0: business task force get more proactive about actually assisting um, businesses to come up with, you know, rapid. Answers to getting back to business. Um, for example, for a really long time, our society has been crying out for some answer to help brick and mortar businesses come together and be available online in a way that Amazon isn't to compete with Amazon. You know, make a how get tech volunteers to create that platform that has a a virtual space, a virtual community space where people can kind of come and be together and, and see, see um, musicians and maybe browse in a way that they can't on Amazon where they can see the brick-and-mortar spaces and get yeah. their things online.
2: I hear you, and I mean, there's going to need to be a lot of support um, and advocacy for these entities as we come out of this and, and something more proactive. I can understand why Anne feels that way. We are just coming up on the end of the hour. And just, Dr. Chin Hong, in just the last 20 seconds, can you just, <laughs> because we are going into a holiday weekend, just remind us how what precautions we should be taking?
0: I would say, you know, the three W's again, wear your mask, wash your hands, and watch your distance.
2: Dr. Peter Chin Hong, Infectious Disease Specialist at UCSF Medical Center, thanks for joining us. Also, thank you to Paul Sisson, reporter covering healthcare for the San Diego Union Tribune. Appreciate having you on as well. Thanks also to our listeners for their questions and comments. Ariana Prale produced today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum.
1: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts.